0: Monday, August 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman.
1: Happy August! Yes, sir! Holy cow! August is here. I can't believe it's here. Just like that. Football just around the corner. <laughs> Have you gotten any invites for your uh, fantasy football league yet? Uh yes actually. Yes, I excited too. That's yeah. like you, you see that and you're like all right, now it's time. I actually got it about a week ago and I was like, "Wait, really?" Your commissioners just <laughs> like, oh, yeah. sitting
2: there waiting for the right time to yeah. is it too early? Is it too late?
1: Yeah. So,
0: and there were the, the requisite jokes about like, "Oh, yes, another another season of just, <laughs> you know, of mediocrity and injured running backs." <laughs> um, we're going to talk food, alcohol, Let's start with energy, though, because shares of Exxon Mobil are down more than five percent since the market closed last Thursday. Uh, second quarter earnings were cut in half, and by that I mean Taylor, they were cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty significant move when you think about
2: that, it. I mean, billions of dollars yes. just disappeared from the income statement. Yeah, um, and it has to do with oil prices. Lowest profit in six years. Coincidentally, the last time oil was below fifty dollars a barrel. Six years ago, yeah, you look at production was up almost four percent, but upstream earnings, which is where they're producing the oil and natural gas, down 75 percent. Sounds staggering, but not as bad as Shell, which was down 80 percent on the upstream. Um, luckily, they do refine oil and they produce some downstream products. Uh, that production was up pretty significantly, so that carried the weight. They did turn a profit um, this year, as opposed to their peer Chevron, whose upstream earnings were hurt much worse. Even though they had better downstream earnings, Chevron turned, a, I think, almost a two billion dollar loss this quarter. So, big energy in a big world of
0: hurt right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at just the reaction from investors in terms of the stock. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, Chevron's results looking worse. Yeah. But the stock fell basically the same as, as Exxon Mobil. I think I think a lot of it has to do with Exxon hasn't fallen
2: as far yeah. to date uh, since oil took its downturn in November as the broad E M P market. So um, its shares are still a little bit more highly valued compared to its peers. So I guess it had a little bit further to fall. But as an investor, it's raising its dividends still. Chevron's keeping its dividend payout. Um, the 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 yield is rising because the shares are falling, but the the dollar value of the dividend for Chevron staying the same, um, and Exxon is one of the only companies in its peer group still. Buying back stock, other companies have kind of put a, put a hold on that, which comes as a surprise uh, with share prices
1: falling. I was going to say Exxon; they have a really good history of doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, dividend not only raising their dividend but buying back shares. I mean, that's always been kind of you know at least part of the thesis with with this business is that it's so big. You know, how much bigger can it get? Yep. Well, maybe not a whole heck of a lot bigger. But they, because it's so big and because they generate so much money, you know, consistently, they've done a really good job of buying back shares, juicing that dividend, and really and you know working out for shareholders. Very well, mm-hmm.
0: I did see, however, that they are cutting back on the buyback program. Yes, they are. Yeah, and so I mean, what is the thinking there? Because arguably, if they were, you know, if they were buying back shares when the mm-hmm. stock was higher, why wouldn't they look to get it at an even cheaper price? That's
2: a good question. And for some of its peers, you look at the projects that they have um, running right now, and Chevron, in particular, has a lot of big projects that are hopefully coming to an end. Um, Exxon is. Fortunate in the case where um, a lot of their bigger projects ended right as or before oil prices took the downturn. So yes, they're producing a lot more oil at a cheaper rate, but at least they're not on the hook to spend at at the rates that they were previously. So they still have like I think 500 million worth of buybacks. But personally, I would think that you would want to go out there and put some shares or put some money to work buying back some cheaper shares. But there's chatter that Exxon, because I mentioned that their share price hasn't fallen as far. Maybe they put some shares to work on the market and acquire somebody. A lot of people think that would be a North American producer. Maybe
1: I think we've also seen just a lot, uh, a lot more uncertainty in regard to energy prices as of late. Um, you know, we kind of always you know, make the arg- argument that energy is cyclical. It will bounce back. We just don't really know when. Uh, but but I think it's all also worth mentioning. I mean, you know, this whole all all of this news with Iran mm-hmm. and and the agreement to lift these sanctions and, and, and with the possibility of, of Iran uh, bringing more oil to the market. I mean, that's going to do nothing but increase the supply, right. which ultimately is going to is going to push prices down further. And so, I mean, there it's not necessarily clear what kind of effect that will have. And it's not necessarily clear whether Iran will just totally screw this up and you know go back to to warranting more sanctions. It's just I, th- I think there's enough uncertainty there that with Exxon, I mean, I think it's 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 a smart move in the short run to play a little bit more defense uh, to get a better idea of what the next year, two years are going to look like. Because Halliburton, I know on their call mm-hmm. recently, their CEO was basically saying the same thing: is we know it's going to bounce back, we know that their is cyclical, but but we just don't know when. And, and right now, there's more uncertainty than ever before. Yeah. The price of oil is falling. The price of beef is also
0: falling. Uh, Tyson food shares down more than eight percent this morning after third-quarter profits came in lower than expected. I mean, this this is a huge business. The chicken business appears to be doing quite well for them. But uh, CEO
1: Donnie Smith was pretty clear that this is this is all about what's happening in the beef market. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. It's uh, this, this is. Purely beef-related, and if you go back even just a you know a week or two ago, when Chipotle uh, announced their earnings. You know they have been witnessing a, a shortage in, in supply of beef, uh, and, and granted their supply chain is a little bit different because they are so so picky about the quality of the, of the food that they're serving. But the you know they they're even passing through price increases on the steak and barbacoa you know menu items. And so I think you know it, with food, anytime you see sort of of pressure on one segment, you see. Uh, you know, sort of success in another. and and so with with chicken, obviously, that's uh, been something that's that's helped sort of, Keep their keep their uh, boat floating, so to speak. Um, You know, I I think you know when you look at chicken. I mean, margins are expanding thanks to lower feed costs, and and I think that when you look at beef, that makes up the majority of sales. Yet chicken makes up the majority of their operating income. So chicken's the more profitable of the two. And and again, going back to Chipotle, we've even seen them on the calls before. Note that same thing is while chicken is is a lower price item on the menu, it's actually more profitable for the company. I think that really, you know, the what has the market spooked, honestly, is is the company's guidance for the coming two years. I mean, they're talking about fiscal 2015 and 2016. Basically, you know, sales are going to be flat at around 40 41 million, and and so you know, when you're not seeing any growth like that, I think that's when you see uh, really the market takes some concern there. But I mean, generally speaking, this is actually a very successful company. I mean, it has had a good year to date. Um, until today. Right. <laughs> and it yes. has had a pretty good five <laughs> right years. Right <up> Until 929 <laughs> yeah. this morning. Hey, been been August year. It's had a good five years as well. I mean, you know, investors generally speaking have won. Um, and, and as you mentioned, it is a big company. They just made a huge acquisition of Hillshire Brands last year. That is the anniversary, and that, that integration is going nicely. So, generally speaking, you know, the benefit here is they make their money in a number of different ways beef, chicken, pork, prepared foods. And, and so, you know, I, I think, I look at a sell-off like this, and honestly, even though we're seeing pressure on the beef side, with the success in in the all in all the other operating segments, I, I think this actually looks like a decent opportunity for investors to, to jump in on a very quality name. I think in in the food supply.
2: Well, the company like this, you would think that you know at least they would grow at the same pace as global GDP, right? I, mean, I don't know the exact number, but to see no growth over the next couple of years, a little bit worrisome, especially as you see you know economies around the world doing somewhat well right now yeah and
1: I mean it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the bottom line again because of because of the fact that they're able to realize more profits from their chicken products uh, you know even with even with pressure on the beef side and that's obviously not gonna not gonna ease up anytime soon um, you know, I, I would honestly love to see them raise their dividend. I mean their payout ratio is you know somewhere like 10, 12, 15%. Mm. so they, they obviously make enough money to pay out a more substantial dividend uh, than they do today. but uh, yeah I mean again, I, I think this is this is a bit of an overreaction just to the, to the guidance that management offered on the sales side. I, I think they still have the opportunity to really uh, you know, juice profitability here if they, if they continue to run a tight ship. Uh, One stat I wanted
0: to share before we get to our final story. I saw this on Twitter this morning. Uh, Just some stats around what happens to the S&P 500 in August the last few years. So In 2014, last year, S&P 500 up 3.8%. 2013, down 3.1%. 2011, down 5.7%. So I guess I just want to take this opportunity to remind (laughs) folks. Just don't freak out. Just don't. This is out. one of those months where a lot of people go on vacation and then they come back. And if you come back and and you're just don't get too excited. If this ends up being a really good month, don't freak out. If it ends up yeah. being one of those months where the market just you know tanks four or five percent.
2: Not based our investing decisions on, on August. Yes, yeah. that's the
1: biggest problem with earnings season. I mean, as much as as we. I mean, I won't speak for you, but I think you enjoy it like I do. I mean, it's oh, yeah. always fun to talk. How dare about this you stuff. suggest any no problem with earnings? <laughs> season. I mean, it's it's you know it's earnings palooza. It's a lot of fun, but I mean, I think the biggest drawback of earnings season. I said this on Twitter the other day. Is it really? It really encourages short-term thinking. It just you know people can't help but see those headlines and then base investing decisions on those headlines uh, when the reality of the situation is that really. I mean, I can see with earnings season, it presents potential opportunities for people um, if you have a quality name that's being beaten down on short-term concerns. But generally speaking, making investing decisions on the sell side, at least, you know, when earnings season comes around, I think is never really—it's uh, just—it's—it's it's just not good. I mean, that's short-term thinking. Successful investors think in terms of years, not quarters. And and you know, we obviously espouse that here, and I, I don't think we can really stress that to our listeners enough. Don't let the hype of earnings season force you into making irrational decisions.
0: I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't, to my recollection, I don't think I've ever made an investment or sold. I, I don't think I've ever bought a stock or sold a stock right in the wake of a company's earnings. I just and, did for the first time. Did you, with
2: Baidu when it dropped fifteen yeah,
1: percent? I would say I definitely buy. I mean, because yeah. I, I feel like. But the majority of your. Stock sales
0: and purchases. I'm guessing the majority are not happening right after earnings. No,
1: no, typically not. I mean, you know, and I'm yeah. I mean, I would say occasionally during earnings season, I'll take advantage of something if it's getting beaten down beyond really what's reasonable. But I definitely uh, don't sell on big pops. I don't like buying on big pops either. But yeah, generally, earning season is you know, it's it's a it's a point of education for us um, and in. That's really about it. Just out of curiosity, why would you pull the trigger on Baidu?
0: Was it was it a situation where it was already on your watch list? Yeah, and the, okay. Yeah,
2: I've been watching that and Google, and unfortunately, Google popped twenty <laughs> percent on earnings, so I missed that one. But um, yeah, Baidu was was the next runner up, and it's something that I've been waiting to get in on, and it was just recommended in a couple services in the U.S. here, so um, I took advantage of it. Small, a small, a small there. bite I mean, it's yeah. a great
1: lesson for investors, to keep a watch list yep. because then you ought, then you don't have to sit there and think during earnings season, you can just do. Mm-hmm. Good news for anyone in Chicago. You are now
0: home <laughs> to America's first Taco Bell that sells alcohol. It is opening <laughs> later this month. They even went out and hired a bouncer. I don't know what they're expecting to happen that is requiring a bouncer, but uh, I, I said this this morning, I, or I guess I should say, I asked this this morning. Am I crazy to think that this might actually Work for Taco Bell? When
2: I read that they're gonna have like frozen drinks, I thought that could work. Um, but if you can't take them to go, I'm I'm nervous because <laughs> um, because <laughs> through the drive so through. many yeah, people, well, have, <laughs> so many people go to Taco Bell to go. To get food to go, and they're not going to stick around and have a drink. I don't know. Um, I looked. I tried to look for Chipotle's alcohol sales, and I think like the last data I could find was sometime last year, and it was only two to three percent over overall sales. And they've even seen an uptick in to go orders, so that's not helping alcohol sales there either. So um, I'm a little bit on the on the on the shelf on this, especially because it ends at midnight when a lot of their customers, I think, that would buy alcohol are coming after midnight.
0: Well, and this is the first test. They're going to be trying this uh, at a location in San yeah. Francisco sometime in the fall. I'm not suggesting this is going to be a game changer, but it seems like <laughs> it it is a relatively easy, small win,
1: potentially. i yeah, I mean, I would say in 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 reading you know your comments about this possibly being you know a good idea i I will say i think I don't think it's that bad of an idea to at least try. It's I mean, alcohol is high margin, and this is nothing more than a test. So, probably the upside is greater than the risk of any downside. I think you probably have. You know, uh, you know, increased chances of you know a food fight or something going yeah. on in the stores probably wouldn't be very pretty. Um, I, I think the concern, the problem I have, is just that people generally go to Taco Bell because of the value, right? They're not going there to spend a lot of money. They're going there because they don't have a lot of money to spend. And I think alcohol more or less flies in the face of that. So if you're if, <laughs> if you're telling me, hey, we're going to go to Taco Bell and belly up for <laughs> beer, I a mean, I, I just don't know that that's really happening. Um, you know, may, maybe it provides some. You know, incremental boost to profitability, but generally speaking, I just don't think this really plays into their clientele. Um, But, but again, I mean, it's worth a shot, I guess. I think it's it's definitely
0: worth a shot, and I think we will find out in relatively short order how successful it is because if they get some sort of early indication that this is testing well, this is. By the way, there are about sixty five hundred Taco Bells. This is not something they're going to roll out. No. Look, I mean, even if this is hugely successful in Chicago and San Francisco, there's no way they're going to roll this out to all the locations. But it it could be the sort of thing where in specific urban areas, they just you know high high density areas, they just say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this.
2: I might even counter that to some super rural areas, and maybe it becomes the only bar in town.
0: That's you know could
1: potentially be so be maybe any, they do roll. Yeah, <laughs> Surefire sign of success is the the partnership with Anheuser Busch Inbev or something like that to roll out a a Taco Bell branded beer, you see that on the, <laughs> yeah. on, the on the shelves in the store. Yeah. Uh, you know what? do They have that strawberry Rita, and maybe you got like a Chalupa Rita or a Budweiser you know, aged taco. Yeah. I mean, if that that's the sure sign <laughs> of a uh, sure sign of success, right? Is is if they can leverage that like they've done with the Doritos taco. Oh yeah, man. Then oh. you know you got something special. You got lightning in a bottle right there, Chris. Right. And let's be clear: if you're looking at Yum Brands. This at I, least Taco
0: I, Bell's trying something. I would say this yeah. is the crown jewel in the Yum Brands portfolio. They're not, I mean, this is not KFC. No. They're they're, <laughs> they're putting up positive comps. They're you know, you mentioned the Doritos Locos Taco that thing was a huge yeah. hit. So, you know, good for them. Yep. Thanks for being here, guys. You got it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.